Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Before the age of television, Hollywood made many movies about good and bad cowboys in the wide open rolling hills of the West. I remember on Saturday afternoons paying a quarter at the theater ticket booth and receiving 11 cents in return. My Western heroes were Hopalong Cassidy, Gene Autry, Roy Rogers. The bad cowboys looked mean, dressed in dark colors, rode dark horses, and they did bad things. Many times, they were rustlers that stole livestock like sheep and cattle. The good guys were handsome, well-dressed. They rode white horses, and they did good things. Both the good and the bad guys were holstered six-shooters, and they shot at one another. Usually, the good guys could draw their guns faster, and they could shoot straighter. These movie scenes often depicted good and evil people deadlocked in action-packed scenes with backgrounds of ranches, hideouts, and wilderness terrains. The scenes in our scripture this morning are similar. Good versus evil forces are arrayed against one another. The weapons are swords, not six-shooters. The force for good is a heroine. Loss of life hangs by a thread. The scenery background is much the same as the Wild West, with ranches, hideouts, and wilderness terrains. The main main actors are Abigail, the redemptive figure, Nabal, the evil man, and David, the man with very sinful intentions. The dialogue is a real event, and the Lord is the director, not Hollywood. The scripture is a masterpiece of narrative art that points us to the coming Messiah, and in so doing reveals some of his nature. Before our scripture reading in 1 Samuel 25, a short introduction to the characters and some historic background is necessary. Abigail was a young, beautiful, intelligent Israelite woman who was used mightily by God for two action-packed days of her life. Created by God for this very purpose, she responded quickly, courageously, and obediently to his call on her life. She was a foreshadowing of the coming intercessor, our Lord Jesus Christ. Nabal, Abigail's husband, was also an Israelite with a reputation for being unreasonable, harsh, and evil in his dealings. The name Nabal means fool or senseless. He was very rich with a lucrative business that included the sale of wool for his flock of sheep. 
It is clear from our scripture that politically he supported King Saul, while his wife Abigail supported David as God's anointed future king. David and 600 of his followers were fugitives on the run from Saul, who aggressively sought David's death. On two separate occasions in chapters 24 and 26, David could have killed Saul, but refused because Saul was the Lord's anointed king. David shows the high moral ground regarding Saul. But in 1 Samuel 25, a narrative sandwiched between these two chapters, he chose a path of grave sin. As chapter 25 begins, Samuel, the last of the judges, died. While he lived, Samuel's godly influence provided some political and physical protection for David. Upon his death, David, anticipating increased pressure from Saul's relentless pursuit, moved his band of men to the wilderness of Paran, located in the northwest corner of the Sinai Peninsula bordering on Israel. But David needed food and provisions for his 600 followers. He provided for this need by establishing a protection service for nearby ranchers, where by night and day, David's men guarded against any theft to their flocks from Philistine rustlers and natural predators. Out of appreciation, the rich owners gratefully shared a small percentage of their profits with David and his men in the form of food. This kind of working arrangement is not unusual. Even today, the Bedouin economy is supported by gifts in exchange for the protection of life and property in unsecure areas of Israel where the wilderness borders on cultivated lands. Nabal was a rich owner, a ranch owner, who had received protection from David's men. As our narrative begins, Nabal's servants were shearing sheep. David knew that the shearing season brought high returns to the ranch owners, so he thought this was an opportune time for collecting compensation for his protection service. As a reminder of services rendered, David sent 10 messengers who met with Nabal and suggested that this might be a good time for payment. Nabal, true to his reputation, disparaged David's name and refused them any compensation. In response, David's messengers reacted angrily and plotted evil retaliation. Their conversation with Nabal, Nabal was overheard by at least one of his servants. Meanwhile, Abigail, not present or informed of this meeting, was given a briefing by one of her trusted servants. The servant confirmed that David's men had performed a valuable protective service of their flocks both day and night, that Nabal had scorned David's name and refused any compensation, and that David's messengers had plotted evil against Nabal and his innocent household. From this warning, Abigail, Abigail feared for the safety of Nabal, herself and all her servants, but was blindsided on exactly how David would retaliate, where his location was in the wilderness, the manpower he might use, or the timing of his revenge. 
With this background information, let's begin our scripture reading in 1 Samuel 25, verses 18 through 38. And as I read, please look for the Christ-like acts of Abigail and how God intervenes for good in the affairs of men. So we're going to read 1 Samuel 25, 18 through 38, and I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's inspired word. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain, that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. So she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belonged to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself when the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment. And blessed be you, who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, 
who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, so that he became as stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider this scripture, may we appreciate the beauty of your word and how it demonstrates your love and your care for us. May we understand more fully your role for good in the life of every believer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When the messengers returned bearing the bad news from Nabal, David reacted quickly, violently, angrily, and sinfully. Instead of leaving vengeance to the Lord, he took matters in his own hands. He armed himself and 400 of his men with swords, intent on making a bloodbath of Nabal and his male household. David chose a sinful path that would have serious consequences. He was not only leading himself into sin, but also 400 of his men. The penalty for premeditated murder, as stated in Numbers 35.30, is that the murderer shall be put to death. David's ascendancy to the throne of Israel hung in the balance. Providentially, before they reached Nabal's ranch, David and his men came face to face with Abigail, riding a donkey, followed by some much-needed provisions for his men. Psalm 94.11 declares that the Lord knows the thoughts of man, and Hebrews 4.13 states nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God knew the thoughts and the intents of the heart of the three main characters and orchestrated a solution with Abigail as a redemptive figure. A redemptive figure being one who saves another person from their sin. She not only interceded physically but also spiritually in the life of David, so his sin would not disqualify him from the throne of Israel. For a few moments, let's look at her actions and contrast them with the Redeemer and the intercessor that was to come, our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to focus on four themes in our scripture that demonstrates this. 
The first one is God's timing in the affairs of men. Second, God sent a person with humility. Third, God sent a person with a gift. And fourth, God sent a person as a redeemer and an intercessor. So number one, first, God's timing in the affairs of man. Both David and Abigail acknowledge in verses 26, 32, and 34 that the Lord sent Abigail to intercede in her role as a redemptive figure. She answered that call in her life immediately and without hesitation because David overreacted to Nabal so violently and quickly. Timing became critical. Abigail moved with a sense of urgency. In verses 18 and 23, respectively, she hurried to load the donkeys, and when she saw David, she hurried to speak with him. David confirms in verse 34 that unless she had come quickly, there would have been a bloodbath. In verse 20, the encounter between David and Abigail did not happen by chance. It occurred providentially at just the right time and just the right place. God's timing was also critical when he sent his only son to earth to die for us. In Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, we're told, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God sent his son at the precise timing when political, cultural, and religious conditions were met for the fulfillment of his perfect plan. God carefully orchestrated not only the timing for Abigail's encounter with David, but also his son's advent into the world theater. Second, God sent a person with humility. In verses 23 and 24, Abigail acted with humility. She and her husband were wealthy and influential in their community. They owned a flourishing livestock business and much land. She was young, beautiful, intelligent woman who God created with these gifts for this very moment. She put these God-given gifts and this reputation aside and humbled herself as she moved toward David. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground at David's feet. Before speaking to him, she asked for permission and respectfully requested that David listen to her words as she presented herself as a lowly maidservant. Abigail humbled herself before her future husband and king. God's son, Jesus Christ, humbled himself to a much greater degree. He left his position of authority and power at the right hand of God, where angelic beings served him, where he, as the great engineer, designer, scientist, planner, created the universe and all living beings where he held the sun, the moon, and the entire universe together, 
where he heard and answered prayers of all who believed that he would soon come as their Messiah, where he disciplined the faithful for their sins so their repentance would draw them closer to him. He left his disposition in heaven and humbled himself by taking on the flesh of man that he had created. Instead of coming as the reigning king he was, he chose a humble birth in a smelly stable to a teenage virgin mother as a vulnerable baby. For us, he was humiliated, ridiculed, and suffered terrible punishment on the way to his death on Calvary's cross. Third, God sent a person with a gift. In verses 18 and 27, Abigail's gift to David for services rendered was well beyond his original request for a few prepared sheep. In addition, she brought bread, wine, roasted grain, raisins, and fig cakes. In verse 35, David accepted the gift that Abigail brought him, and this gift helped satisfy his immediate sin problem. Abigail's gift was an acceptable and generous gift, but it was not perfect. It lasted until it was consumed by David's men. God's gift to us is everlasting. It is a free and perfect gift that God offers us through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. We must accept that gift before we can receive forgiveness and inherit eternal life. This is stated so clearly in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Fourth, God sent a person as a redeemer and intercessor. Abigail acted redemptively, not defending or accusing, she stepped between the sin of David and Nabal and acted as an intercessor. In verse 33, her amazing discernment and persuasive skills made it obvious she was an instrument in the hand of a living God. She pleaded her innocence of the offense, but in verse 24, she took upon herself the blame for her husband's sin. And then in verse 28, ask for David's forgiveness. She pointed out that the Lord had restrained David from shedding blood and taking vengeance into his own hands. She addressed the higher nature of David, that his bloody, thirsty actions were not really him, that he had a higher calling, that he was fighting the Lord's battles. She treated David with great respect and acknowledged him as the king-elect anointed by Samuel and under the protection of Almighty God. She continued by tactfully pointing out that David would sin if blood was shed without just cause and that such sinful action would tarnish his future kingdom. Without a redeemer and intercessor, you and I are forever out of fellowship with God, destined for eternal punishment. God sent his son on a sacrificial mission of intercession 
that require his death on a cross for the sins of all believers. While Abigail's act of intercession was God-ordained, it was limited to David and Nabal and their sinful desires. On the other hand, Jesus' intercession was on a grand scale between all believers and God and dealt with sin's past, present, and future. He loves you even when you've lived your life in rebellion to him. Despite his love for you, no relationship or fellowship is possible with him until your sin is removed from God's sight. The solution to the sin problem is found only in his son, Jesus Christ, who God sent as our redeemer and intercessor. God sent Abigail as an intercessor and peacemaker between David and Nabal for the purpose of reconciliation. God sent his son, Jesus, as an intercessor between sinful mankind and a sinless holy God for the purpose of restoring the fellowship that Adam and Eve once had with him in the garden. Christ's acts of love Christ's act of love for us brought reconciliation and peace between a holy God and sinful man. This narrative has many levels to it. It speaks of the incident itself between David, Abigail, and Nabal that we've just discussed. Then it foreshadows the coming Messiah as the redeemer and intercessor through the redemptive figure of Abigail. But it also demonstrates the character of God as a friend to David and to us. We, gave, we began our message this morning by saying that God orchestrated this narrative. God is omniscient, all-wise, knows and controls the future. He knows the beginning from the ending. In the future, he knew David would be known as a man after God's own heart. He knew David was destined to the throne of Israel. He knew the Savior would be in David's lineage and be called Son of David. God had a plan for David's life, just as he has a plan for your life. But David was caught up in the moment, as we often are. He was exhausted, emotionally drained, tired of running from Saul and concerned with providing food for his 600 men. Samuel's death was the last straw. He gave in to the desires of his flesh and made some sinful decisions. David sought to return the evil of Nabal with his own evil magnified many times over. He mobilized an overwhelming force of warriors for purposes that would destroy God's plan for his life. In the flesh, David nearly took vengeance into his own hands instead of leaving vengeance to God. To rescue him, God intervened on David's behalf using one person, Abigail. God also rescued us from our sin problem by the intervention of one person, his son, Jesus Christ. But the Lord didn't stop being a friend and intercessor to David. He offered David not only the gift of provisions for his men, but also the gift of repentance from his act of vengeance. David accepted the provisions and the gift of repentance. 
headed back to his hideout in the wilderness, let God deal with any vengeance required and remained in fellowship with God. When we accept Christ as our Savior, God will act on our behalf just as he did for David. In John 15, 13 through 14, Jesus speaks to his disciples. But in extension, he speaks also to all believers when he says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus becomes our friend when he becomes our savior. For him to become our savior requires a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. To the young people of our church who have grown up in Christian families, I ask you to consider, are you basing your faith solely on your parents' faith? Have you had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ? If you repent and accept that Jesus' death on the cross of Calvary was for you personally, and that your sins caused his suffering and his death, and it's then that you are saved, but your faith must be personalized. When you accept him as your savior, his spirit will take up residence in your heart and become your friend, giving you wisdom and discernment of the things of God. As believers, God promises a way of escape from sin when you are tempted, just as David was provided a way of escape through Abigail. If you ignore the way of escape and sin anyway, his spirit will prompt you to repent so your relationship with him is restored as it was with David. When I became a believer at the age of nine, an evangelist spoke of eternity without God, the punishment in hell, the forgiveness of sins, the fear of God's wrath and his Holy Spirit drove me to accept him as my savior. There are many wonderful reasons to accept Jesus as the Lord of your life. One that is often not mentioned is our relationship with him as our closest friend. In our walk through life, good friends are few and far between. A good friend is one who empathizes with us, who listens to us, is patient with us, is kind, is trustworthy, loyal, dependable, truthful, a promise keeper, and thoughtful. A true friendship is reciprocal, it's not one-sided. Unfortunately, our earthly friendships do not always last. Many times in the seasons of life, we lose touch and that closeness wanes. But as a believer, a friendship with our Lord Jesus Christ, it lasts forever. And it is reciprocal in that our love for him and our desire to please him is evidenced by our obedience to his commands. As a new believer, God's spirit begins a personal relationship with us as our friend. Gradually, he transforms our thinking and our behavior. At the same time, he starts working things out for our good. Romans 8.28 says, 
We know that all, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Because Jesus became man, he can empathize with all that we experience in life's journey. Our friendship with him grows deeper through the years as he demonstrates how he works things out for our good. We can share our deepest concerns with him, our heartaches, our loneliness, our fears, our goals. We can talk with him at any time. We can just think and he is there. He'll never leave us. He'll always be faithful. He keeps his promises. He's always truthful. He loves us more than we can imagine. We can confide in him. He'll give us the desires of our heart. He'll act in our behalf just as he did for his friend David. He'll bless us in many ways. There is an intimacy to our relationship with Christ that is far deeper than any earthly friendship. When Nabal refused repentance, God took Nabal's life. Then God blessed David with Abigail as his new wife. And he also received Nabal's riches, including his business, his land, and his livestock through Abigail's inheritance. David repented of his sin before he shed innocent blood. God saved him from the consequences of terrible sin and then blessed him for repenting. The great intercessor, our Lord Jesus Christ, will rejoice in heaven together with the saints if you will repent of your sins and accept his personal gift, his death on the cross of Calvary for your sins. Nabal, Nabal refused repentance and was lost for eternity. Don't be a Nabal, senseless, foolish, and unreasonable. Remember that God loves you and wants a personal relationship with you as a friend. If his spirit is working in your heart this morning, repent of your sins and accept God's perfect gift to you now. Don't harden your heart against the spirit's leading. You will never, ever again may be given this opportunity. Accept him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation. We thank you for Jesus, for his being our intercessor, our redeemer, our savior, and our Lord. May everyone, in this, everyone this morning experience your Holy Spirit living within them and with it the blessing of knowing you as their friend. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen.